You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Autzen Audibles podcast, a live stream edition Friday, January 6th. Uh, I'm Matt Bream, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. And there's a lot to get to um, on this one. We're going to go through Eric's grades. Uh, he's going to pitch us the format here, how we're going to discuss things. Uh, and then for the 2022 college football season for the Oregon Ducks. And then the second half of the show, we will dive into just your questions that uh, you guys present to us. So hit the chat. If, if you're watching this live, uh, hit the chat. Drop your questions in. We'll start getting to those here in a second. If you're listening to the podcast post live stream, uh, you can go onto YouTube in the future show formats and you can find us, uh, Oregon Ducks on 24-7 Sports and subscribe to that YouTube channel. You'll get notified when we go live. We send out links on that as well. Uh, and so you can join the show there. Okay, Eric, uh, I'm going to toss it to you. Uh, you you want to open the show your special way, so let's let's hear your pitch here. It wasn't a special way. I, I just <laughs> know that grades can be divisive, so I, I kind of wanted to change the way we opened with this. And sure. By the way, great for people listening to us live. I think we're going to make it. This is unofficially Fridays or live stream day, I think. Unofficially, kind of officially. I think that's kind of our plan. Unofficially official. Going forward is Friday will be live stream day, probably in the morning around 9.30 a.m. like it is right now. Um, so kind of stay tuned for that. So the way I wanted to do this, and, and for starters, I guess I'll just provide a little bit of context for how these grades come about. Um, you can find the story on DuckTerritory.com for those that are um, maybe in the stream right now. Um, the story is titled Final Grades of Oregon's 10-Win 2022 Season. So you can go pull that up if you like that, if you want context. If you're here just to ask questions later and, and I'll be boring you with my grade explanation, that's fine too. Um, basically how this works, I grade every single position group on the team from an A to an F every game. It's a 10, uh, kind of almost a 10-point system, if you will. A plus gets an 11, so that's an extra grade, extra point. So it's kind of on a 1 through a 10 scale to begin with. So how I wanted to start this and I should note, the way I've come to my final season's grade is by adding up all the scores throughout the season, averaging it over the 13 games, coming to a, a final numerical number, and applying that numerical number with the letter grade. Sort of boring, kind of lame, but that's the way I've done it. If you have suggestions to make it work better next year, I'm totally open to it. If that's a, if there's someone in the chat who's like, hey, you should do it this way. I'm, a, I'm an educator of some kind. I'm, I'm, I'm open to listening. But how I wanted to start this was rather than focus on what all the grades were, I wanted to see if I have the order of the position groups correct. I want to see if you agree with the order I have the positions in at least, and then we can get into the nuance of like, does it feel appropriate for this group to be a B, this group to be a B minus, whatever they are. Mm -hmm. That's, are we, are we tracking? Sure. Does that work? Yeah, yeah, I get that. Okay. So uh, I have letter grades for the team on the season. I have letter grades for offense. I have letter grades for defense on the season. I have letter grades and for each position groups, including special teams. So I wanted to run through the order I have for the position groups plus, sorry, plus special teams. Does this, how does this just kind of on initial thought, and I think you guys have probably looked at the grades, so you're already kind of aware what they look like, but just kind of, how does this sound? I have running backs as the, as the best position group on the team, offensive line second, quarterback third, pass catchers, which includes receivers and tight ends fourth, Special teams fifth, which I hate saying that already, but uh, that's just the way it came out in the grade machine. And I, I even commented in my final grades article, I probably graded special teams uh, too loosely were, this That's year. too nice. That's yeah, too I was, nice. I was too nice to them because in the middle of the year, there was a stretch where it was like, hey, they're doing okay on special teams. They had the UCLA game where they had the onside kick. They had a couple of nice moments. Camden Lewis was consistent. But I do think it's too, I think it's too good. Okay. It's too nice. Defensively, my, my order was defensive line, which includes edge players as the best defensive backs as the second best linebackers as the worst. And obviously if you're going from one through eight, that would mean that the linebackers are the eighth ranked group on the team. How does that summary, which I just gave 
sound to you guys? Does it seem fair that running back was first, offensive line second, quarterback third? And I will note that there was literally one point between all three of those, and it changed the order because of the last game where I gave uh, quarterback a B grade and running back an A grade, and that's basically the difference between quarterback and running back being first and, and, and third. I think that's fair. I think I would – I honestly, I would only swap special teams and defensive line. If, I, if you just flip-flop those, I'm pretty good with it. Special teams, like I understand that Camden has been um, has been really good this year and was good last season, all that good stuff. But uh, punting has been atrocious, kick return has been atrocious, and even kickoffs have cost Oregon some very valuable field position late in games. So, I mean, that was one of the very uh, or one of the big picture things that I highlighted at the end of the year that this needs to be addressed and this needs to be fixed. Um, defensive line for. I know they didn't generate any pass rush or anything like that, but it's not like they were just always manhandled like they were against Oregon State. They were competitive. Brandon Dorless was pretty good. DJ Johnson, when he was healthy, was good. I think I would give them a little more credit, like just because um, like Jordan Riley and Casey Rogers kind of came out of nowhere to be kind of good contributing members to this defensive front. It was lackluster, but I don't think it was as lackluster as what the special teams was considering – the decent amount of hype that we on this podcast probably generated for the special teams and coach Joe Lorig. Um, and I, I thought that they just significantly underperformed where we expected them to be last year. So I think everything else is fine. I, I don't have an issue with running backs being number one. And you mentioned how tightly contested it was for that number one spot. I've got no issues with that. I think it's clear that those four offensive positions are way above anything on defense or special teams. So um, yeah, I would just flip-flop special teams and uh, defensive line. So you just to clarify before we go to Matt for his re review and rebuke of my grades, um, you would have – you still have linebacker and defensive backs worse than, than special teams, or would you put special teams above either of those groups? I've, I don't know. Yeah, no, I think that's fine. Okay. I was thinking about defensive backs for a second because – you still had Christian Gonzalez and Trekos Bridges got better as a late, but I, I don't think that Washington game is going yeah. to get out of anybody's head anytime soon. So I'll, I'll, which was, you know, cap highlighted by a poor special teams there on the kickoff by Andrew Boyle. So they're all kind of lumped in together, but those are the, those are the bottom three for sure. No questions asked. I had no issues offensively with your grades. I felt like uh, you could argue any one of, the groups, quarterback, running back, pass catchers, offensive line, could have been number one or could have been four. I, I think you could you could make a case for any one of those groups. The order, I, I had no issue. I, I think running backs, um, to your point, grading higher maybe than quarterback uh, is sound because I, I think Oregon had the best one-two punch at that position group in the conference. Um, I wonder, or I don't wonder, but I, I would argue, you could argue that Bo Nix, while he was in that top group at quarterback, it was not a clear cut that he was even top two at his he, position. He, uh, group. he wasn't voted that way by the league's coaches. Yeah. Yeah. So like you could, you could argue maybe that there was a better one, two combination, maybe at Oregon state uh, that or over Oregon's running backs, but you'd kind of so. have like a, clear-cut idea that, that their tandem was at, at worst the third best, probably the best. Um, you can't say that about Bo Nix. So, okay, there. I, I think you were very generous uh, for everybody else uh, on these team grades. Um, based, on, based on the letter grade, you mean? Yes. Based I, I agree. Off of, yeah, we'll get to that. Based yeah, off the letter grade. Um, defensive line, to Jared's point, like, that they didn't really necessarily get manhandled. Well, true. Like, Statistically, tackles for loss took a big dip from in 2022 to 2021. Uh, their rush defense took a dip from 21 to 2022. We obviously know that sacks was putrid, the lowest number since 1986. Um, so they couldn't get to the quarterback. Their tackles for loss went down. Their yards per carry average allowed went up from 2021 to 2022 with almost the same unit outside of Kayvon Thibodeau. Um, linebackers pretty important were bad. guy though. <laughs> yeah, but one guy shouldn't just wreak havoc to your entire position group. Like, I understand. Hey, 
I, I understand like you lose your your pass rush ability and you 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 can't generate a pass rush because Kayvon Thibodeau's not gone. That's fine, but like you should still be able to get tackles for loss without Kayvon Thibodeau. You still should be able to get a a, a solid number uh, from a rush defense. I mean, they were like in the seventies, high high seventies, almost eighties in rush defense this season. Kayvon Thibodeau, that, while good against the run, that was not his strength, and so it shouldn't. I guess maybe the loss of Popo factors in there as well because Popo got hurt, but nah. um, linebackers were not good. No. They were I, terrible. I, I, had, I had linebackers way below everybody else, by the way. We'll, we'll get to the actual scores in a moment here. But, like, it was – yeah, they were bad. I don't. I just don't think that there was one position group that should be above B-. And I feel like for special teams and – defense and i feel like b minus is even still being kind of nice yeah in my opinion no and i i actually understand that and kind of in looking through it the the way the grades came to there's a really large gap from the score perspective that isn't represented very well by the letter grade so i'm kind of thinking i might readjust some of the how the letter grades work next year um it's like for instance the if i like if you were to hear on a scale of one to ten that the uh running backs are an 8.4 that sounds like a that's like a B level grade. But then if you were to hear that the linebackers were a six point two, you'd be like, that sounds like a D. That sounds like a really bad like right. That's like a if you were to convert these to percentages, if you got a sixty two percent in the class, that's like a D grade. If you got like an eighty four percent in the class, that's like a solid B grade. So there is a big difference here that I just don't know if I've done a very good job of capturing with the actual letter grades itself. Which, as Matt points out, um, for those listening who haven't read the story. Um, I gave, I'll just run through the letter grades now that I, I did the order part, which maybe was out of order, but I thought provided just kind of interesting uh, context to start with. Um, for the overall team grade, uh, I gave the team a B. For the offensive grade, I gave the team a B plus. Uh, sorry, my, 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 my uh, file just quit as I was reading through it, so I'm a little bit out of sorts here. Okay. Good timing. Uh, Great timing. Quarterback, I gave a B plus. Running back was a B plus. Wide receivers, B plus. Offensive line, group plus. The entire offense got B pluses across the board. As I said earlier, the scores were very, very close. Like um, I, I included here, my, my files back. That's great. Um, for, like for from an actual like average score perspective, like here's what it ended up with. Running back was eight point four. Offensive line, 8.3. Quarterbacks, 8.2. Receivers, 7.9. So they're all kind of grouped together. Um, then you go to defense. I gave their overall defensive grade a B, which is, again, a 6.7 grade. So that B is, in this case, equivalent. Again, this is probably not the great system. A 6.7 for the defense is equivalent to a B grade, which is the same grade I gave for a 7.2 for the overall team. So there's a pretty big it's disparity very nice there. of you. Yeah, I know. It feels I, like I, we're I'm, taking like a physics class where they're just like, fifty hey, percent, you guys pass. Don't worry, yeah. about it. you're in. I, I think I think the letter grades are off. Um, I think yeah. I would if, judging by that, I would just go with what the decimal point is. So the yeah, defense I think, is six point seven is a D plus. I think I think that's kind of what I might do next year. So like, so here's here's yeah. here. I'll run through the rest of it. Uh, defensive line is a B, but that's a six point nine B. Linebacker was a B minus, but a six point two. And defensive back was a B at a 6.85, so very close to D-line. And then special teams was a B at 7.2. So um, also not a very good grade, so but ends up seeing D, a little stronger. D pluses and a C. I, I, I think if that's what the grades look like. And I, you know, like I, I think that maybe I was – if that's the case, that feels a little bit harsh. because there harsh. Some, there's some Like there's some good players that played well this season. Like again, There were some good games too. Like, right against Utah, like Oregon's defense was really good, but and that, and that's the thing that's hard in these grades is that um, the season grades, I, I, these aren't done, like these are done in individual vacuums. I was gonna say they aren't done in a vacuum because like it's not like I'm coming at the end of the season being like, all right, let's look at all the data from mm -hmm. like an outside perspective. I am literally going well in Atlanta. I thought the defense was an F, but when I came home against Eastern Washington, I gave them this, 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 and you go all the way down the list. So yeah. they're, like, it's built into what I thought in the moment, which I think is a value. So it's not like the emotion of the game maybe plays a role, but it, you know, it, it's not like the emotion of the season plays a role because it's all kind of independent data points, which mm -hmm. I like. But it's high, I, I do think I'm going to kind of recapture and reconsider how I kind of uh, evaluate postseason. But I do think what you end up with, at least, is an understanding that they're, from my perspective, and I think most people who watch this team on a week-to-week -week basis, the offense performed really well. 
don't think there's any question about that. I have a bunch of data here in the story if you want to go look at it. Uh, the, stat, the story, by the way, for those listening who haven't read it, is much more than just letter grades. Like I give about 200 word explanations for each grade on the site. So there's quite a bit of data to look through. But like some, some information for the offense here. This is the most points, the most yards, and the most points per play by any Oregon offense since 2015. Um, the Ducks scored more than 40 points eight straight weeks, gained over 430 yards in each of those weeks, Average over 500 yards and finished above 500 yards in seven of 13 games. So um, the offense was fantastic. I thought the grades there were probably pretty reasonable. B plus, you probably could argue maybe there's an A minus or something there for, for a position group if you wanted to get generous. And then defensively, it was just not good. And I think we, I, we all kind of know why. Um, but some of the data points I hit at the bottom here were um, obviously there's the yards given up, but they were 124th out of 131 teams on third down. They were 115th out of 131 teams with sacks. Those two data points to me, I think we might have touched, we might have touched some of those. We did a we did a uh, uh, season stat review where each of us picked some there stats. There goes Matt. Oh, Matt's gone. Well, he'll be yeah. back. Um, it's, but, yeah, it's us two but, for now. <laughs> but my my point is, I think like you can you can easily understand sort of the way the grades uh, encapsulate the season. There's probably some argument in terms of what the grades themselves are. Um, I think I have here, here's something. I think you're too low on the offense. Yeah, I, can, I could I, I could this that way. I think a B plus letter grade, while good, is a little too low. Just because outside of the Georgia game, um, they were fantastic especially with the healthy bone X. So here's here's what happened on the grades. I'm going to just run through the grades week by week from offense perspective. Sure. <clears throat> and once once we get Matt back, we can maybe pivot. I'm not sure the audience is all that interested in my grades. <laughs> um, if you, it, That's just the way it works. This is podcasting. We'll kind of live and learn. Back half of this pod is going to be yeah. uh, answering questions you might have about other things that aren't grade related. If you have grade questions, you know, I'm excited to talk oh, about it. The teacher is here, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, they can answer <laughs> So here's, here's how the offense grade just played week one through 13. They got a D against Georgia. This is offense. Mm -hmm. A, A, B plus, B, A, A plus, B, A minus, B plus, B. B was against Utah, and that was obviously just a really tough game, but was in and out of injury. C plus against Oregon State. I was a game where the stats were okay, but the way that they just couldn't finish it at the end was tough. And then a B against North Carolina, where they had a really tough middle of the game finish strong. So the back end of the season here, if you if you were to remove the last four games, which of course you can't, where they got a B plus, a B, a C plus, and a B, you'd be looking at your your A minus kind of grade probably. You'd be looking at a significantly better grade. But the, the basically four of the worst five weeks were to close the season, unfortunately. And I'll also yeah, say I, I, one, one other one other thought, Jared. Sorry, because I noticed a grade here that's probably really unfair if you look at this, the stats from the game. Some of this is like kind of based upon the perception the team gives after the game like i think the cal game is a really good ex example of that the cal offense do you remember that game oregon scored a ton of points had a lot of yards but they had a couple yeah. of red zone deficiencies and we got down to the press conference and dan and Bo and alex forsyth were all like oh, we we just didn't do it today it wasn't a very good day but mm -hmm. if you were to look at the numbers i bet you that's probably an a grade but i gave it a b in part because the players were like nah we didn't play very well and i was like, all right well the players didn't think they played well so yeah i'll say, I'll say they didn't play well yeah, I just um, – I don't know, man. I feel like – especially like the B grade against North Carolina, the C-plus grade against Oregon State, if I told you – if I didn't tell you how they lost those – or how they lost the Oregon State game, if I didn't tell you how they won the, the UNC game, if we went back in time and talked to an Oregon fan last year with the Mario Cristobal-led offense and said that, hey, you, you're, this offense is going to put up this amount of yards, this amount of points, this amount of throwing yards, this amount of rushing yards – and you guys will either win or lose. I think everybody would give that an A. I think this offense was just remarkable all season long. And let's not forget that Kenny Dillingham wasn't in that Holiday Bowl, and Kenny Dillingham was out the door on his on his way to Arizona State for that Oregon State game as well. Um, I just think, and this is nitpicking. I think overall a B plus is more than a fine grade for this offense. I just think it could be even higher. I think you could go A minus. I think you could if this guy, you know, if if the offense were to drop an apple at your desk, I think that you would easily be convinced that it could be an A minus or an A team. Um, I, I just think it was just comparatively from season to season and and the offensive statistics, excuse me, and how well they played and what the formation was and all that good stuff and how they got everybody involved, the emergence of Troy Franklin, Bucky Irving, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I, uh, I just think it was an A, an A-minus kind of team. 
um, especially on offense. Now, defense, as we went over, um, might have a little tinkering to your grading system overall. But yeah. Um, again, I, I think it was it was more than fair. I just it's tough to be so dismissive of the defense and just give everybody like a D plus just because well, I, they weren't they weren't I know they that they were bad as, they weren't bad they weren't as bad as some people want to represent no they Playing they defense. just I'm not we're not saying that they were good no don't get me wrong no yeah you know, because I've been very clear on the offseason they have a lot of work to do there's some positions yes. that really need to be hit Absolutely. and I think we're in total agreement there I just think like it's it's a playing defense is really difficult in modern college football, especially with the mm -hmm. caliber of quarterback play that Oregon played. Like you think about the quarterbacks that they played over the course of the season. I won't say they played the most difficult group of quarterbacks in the country because that would be very much hyperbolic. But like they played, there's it was really well, good. There, and there are four or five guys here that are going to probably have an opportunity to start at some point in the NFL. Like I mean, at least at least two or three, right? Yeah, at least two or three. Maybe yeah. four or five might be too much. They didn't play Caleb Williams. I think in my head I had that they had. I mean, Caleb Williams is going to be a number one overall pick, most right. likely. Unfortunately, he wasn't on the schedule. But I was in my, right. you know, just, just like they played, some, they played some really high-end quarterbacks in, in this conference this year. They played, obviously, to start the season, two pretty darn good quarterbacks. I mean, so they played sorry. some good teams. So it's, it's it's it can be a difficult, you know, I think it's difficult here because the defense certainly is not good, and I'm not going to say they are and the results were disappointing, but I think you look across the country, and of course Oregon's stats aren't there with everybody else, but like, I don't think this is like the worst defense Oregon has had like in a decade. I'm not going to say anything. No, 2016. I think, you know, 2016 was it. It's, it's, just, it's that simple. But, um, like, but just I, it, like there were, there were some really clear weaknesses, but I think there were enough strengths that I, I kind of think like, yeah, okay, like maybe, maybe it should be a, a C, C plus grade, not a B minus mm -hmm. grade for these, but like, I don't think they were devastated and like, terrible either. No. And this is going to be an extremely poor um, comparison. And I know this going into it, but I'm still going to say it. Like everybody wants Oregon's defense to only allow like 25 points a game and be nationally ranked. It kind of be like what that 2019 defense was. Um, Oregon just doesn't have the secondary. And to your point, Eric, how good offenses are now in college football uh, the national or the college football playoff game, everybody scored over 40 points now on So there was basically no defense being played. And this is from, you know, your top four teams in the country. And I know that TCU doesn't have a great defensive resume, but Ohio state, Georgia, Michigan, um, yeah. all yeah. those guys were top 15 in defense overall in this past season, especially Michigan and, and Georgia. And those guys, especially Michigan, those guys got boat raced. Um, it just wasn't – you just had to score if you were going to win that game. And eventually somebody did score, and that was Georgia, and that was TCU. But there was no defense being played there. Uh, there was a turnover every once in a while. I think Max Duggan threw two interceptions. But still, it was it, – TCU at, at one point was averaging over like seven and a half yards of play. Like there's no defense going on. So as poor as Oregon's defense was, um, I just think it's really difficult to play – to play like to your credit or to your point, excuse me. Like, I think it's just difficult to play defense. However, um, those are the college football players against the best offenses in the country, as well as the best defense in the country. So you would like Oregon to play well uh, defensively when they play against Cal, where there were points where you're like, Oh man, the, the Cal's backup quarterback is in and he's having a good day at the office. And yeah. that's just really not something that you want to see or how Colorado kind of moved the ball briefly down the field just Oregon should do much better against inferior competition. You know, th they shouldn't be pushed around like they were at Oregon State. And I'm not saying that Oregon State's inferior competition, but when you're up by that many, you shouldn't be pushed around like that. That game shouldn't have been close. That game shouldn't have been a loss type of deal. Uh, I, so defensively, like we've been talking about a while on this podcast, they need a lot of help and seemingly getting it in the recruiting cycle. All right, programming note here. Matt Preem's internet is kaput. He is having issues uh, yesterday. I think there's an outage over in his uh, mm -hmm. neck of the woods. He just messaged us on uh, Slack, our, our messaging service, that he will not be able to rejoin the live stream. Um, so it's just you're going to be stuck with uh, Jared and I for the rest of this. We're going to do about probably 25, 30 more minutes, depending on questions here. Um, if you do have questions, please submit them. Um, there's a couple here we can get to. I think that kind of wraps it up for um my grades i will go ahead and 
maybe I did this out of order. Maybe I should have should done this sooner. Uh, I'm going to throw my grade story into the live stream chat. So if you did want to read the story, you can read it now. And I guess if you have follow-up questions, you can. I probably, as I said, I should probably <laughs> tossed it in there just to start the stream so people knew what That's we were okay. talking about. But you live, you learn, you get better. Hopefully it goes better uh, next time. Uh, first question we're going to get to, uh, should, we do, should we do a break right now, Jared? Do you think Matt would like it if we did a break? Yeah. I think, I think yeah, I, 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 let's do a break. In, in the honor of Matt Prem, who is no longer with us on this podcast, we will take a quick break and be right back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, welcome back to the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Jared sorry. is laughing because it sounded like I was giving that. <laughs> yeah, in memoriam. Yeah. In memoriam of Matt Bream <laughs> having, have his, have his birth year up on the screen here. Uh, if we were better with the, tech, if, with the service here, we could have pulled off a, a funny joke there, but we, we do not and probably not equipped anyway. Um, <laughs> first question we're going to hit here <clears throat> comes from uh, Nosy5. And again, for those that are listening after the stream, we are going to be reading questions from the stream. If you want to be on future streams, we have about 50 people in here right now this morning. <clears throat> um, we will send out links. And I think the expectation is Friday mornings, if you if you want to be a part, probably in the 9 o'clock hour will be, I think, the consistent time period. So from Nosy5. Who, oh, Matt. Is he back? Yeah. Ooh. We just did an in memoriam from We're you. back. Yeah. We just we just we just wrote you off. And I may be gone in five seconds. Who knows? <laughs> All right. We are just wrapping up the grades, and we we're going to answer some questions. So I was about to read a question from Nosy Five. Matt is no, he's he is with us, guys. The the he, he has rose from the dead. This is very exciting. Yeah. Uh, the internet in my area got knocked out last night by the storms. So I've been fighting bad updates from Comcast all night into this morning. Okay. So Matt's so back. If uh, I disappear, that's where I go. That he's gone into the internet ether. Um, from yes. Nosy Five, who do you think is the next to commit? Um, do you think it's more likely it's a portal guy, probably? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Evan Williams is the first name that popped in my head. Same here. Mm -hmm. All right, next question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even if it's not Evan Williams, it could be another guy, too. I mean, I, I think you have to look strongly at, at Jordan Birch from right. South Carolina. Um, the former five-star player, Dan Lanning, was his primary recruiter at Georgia. Mm -hmm. um, are South Carolina sites even saying, like, they're hearing Oregon is, like, in the driver's seat? We haven't heard driver's seat, but we know there's interest. Um, that would be the next one. So I, I don't – let me ask you this question: Like, would you be surprised if they didn't add a single high school guy moving forward? Because, like, Deuce Robinson seems unreal, like possible, yeah. but not no, likely. Not, yeah, not as good as it did before. Maybe Harbor, maybe. I mean, the five-star athlete, um, dual sport track star, and also football player. But even then, that kind of feels like Oregon came in really late. There may be just a new name that's generating a bunch of buzz, but. We'll see. Roderick Pleasant feels like he's going to go to USC. Jamari Johnson is going to probably stick with Louisville, which I think is a sign that room is tight for Oregon. I kind of think they may not sign a single guy high school-wise. Hmm. There's not a lot of names out there. 
No, no. and you, you've kind of run through them, and strangely, Harbor is the one you probably have the most confidence in right now. Yeah. And he hasn't even visited an organ, basically, was not his recruitment, like, three day, like, three weeks ago, was, like, they weren't even a, a factor before he signed, yep. he chose not to sign. Yeah, I'd probably agree that the, I mean, I think it's definitely a portal guy, and for those listening who maybe haven't done the background on Evan Williams, that's Bennett Williams' younger brother, played at Fresno State, also a big-time safety. Um, I think there's a our Fresno State up uh, insider who is also our Cal, Stanford, Hawaii, San Jose State, probably another one. Jackson Moore, he's been on this podcast like a number Triple of times, times. Yeah. Uh, has, has, has posted on our message board that he's heard from Fresno State sources that Evan Williams is very much likely to go to Oregon, which is why, like Matt, that would also be where I would start. And uh, it would be, it'd be interesting to see if, if they aren't as active with the preps because from a numbers perspective, this is already the biggest class in school history, right? This is more signings yeah. than I've ever had. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're close to 30. There's a million. They really, gee, they really need more. And personally, I probably, at this point, unless it is a Harbor or a Robinson who's a five-star who, in theory, could make an impact sooner than later, probably feel pretty comfortable that you've got plenty of developmental players set to be on your 23 roster. So let's go find a couple of guys who can be plug-in plays, which is, I've said several times in the pod, is what your goal is in the portal. And both the guys Matt talked about, Williams and Birch, certainly qualify for me. Yeah, it has to be a portal guy. I don't, I don't uh, like Matt just went through the names. I think those are the really only likely candidates left. I don't think Oregon would necessarily look to add like a three-star depth guy at cornerback or something. Um, I think it's going to go portal or nothing. Uh, Evan Williams, like you guys have mentioned, um, I know he's a Fresno State guy, so maybe people don't think that he's as talented because it's Fresno State and he was a three-star recruit. Um, and Williams is really good. Um, he made second team All-Mountain West this year um, after missing a couple of games due to a knee injury. I think it was a knee injury. Um, and then he made All-Mountain West first team uh, last season in 2021 against Oregon when Fresno State played them in 2021. He had 12 tackles and one pass def deflection. Um, he really opened some eyes in that game. Uh, he's, he's very talented. He would be a welcomed addition to the safety room. Yeah. Um, I mean, the safeties, especially considering that four of the six scholarship safeties can leave after this season, or they can leave now, I guess, right. um, with Jamal Hill, Brian Addison, Steve Stevens, and then Bennett Williams is already gone. He's out of eligibility. Um, those other three can make the option to leave. So I think that's a huge addition if he does make the, make the decision to come to Oregon. Um, We've all been hearing good things about that. And uh, Jordan Birch, yeah, I mean, like Matt said, um, Dan Lanning was his def or his uh, primary recruiter when he was defensive coordinator at Georgia. Is a former five-star commit. This is a former uh, top 10 player in the country. Um, same class as Justin Flo and Noah Sewell, that class of 2020. Yes. Um, he was eighth in the 24-7 sports composite, 17th in the top 247, so a consensus five-star recruit. He was the number two defensive tackle in the country behind Brian Brzee out of Clemson, um, who's going to be a first-round pick. Look, I, if you go look at Birch's statistics, you might find them to be underwhelming, and they are. They're, they're underwhelming. There isn't anybody on the West Coast who plays Pacific Conference football, Pac-12 football, who has the same body type as Jordan Birch. He is an anomaly out here. He's a faster, bigger, better, stronger version of DJ Johnson, who was Oregon's best pass rusher this past season, um, who is, is a similar physique, but Birch is even bigger. Um, if Oregon lands him, I think he will be quite productive at Oregon compared to playing in the SEC at South Carolina. The numbers aren't awful, though, this year. No, 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 they're not awful. You but know with the with the five star buzz that he had coming True. in, he's South Carolina's highest rated recruit of all time. He's from South Carolina. He picked South Carolina over Clemson. Which, quick sidebar, if Clemson got Jordan Birch, Brian Brzee, and Miles Murphy in the same recruiting class, that would have been crazy. But back to back to the conversation, the numbers aren't aren't bad. He still was credited for forty pressures on PFF. Yeah. Um, well, he, so counting stats, 60 tackles, I think seven and a mm -hmm. half tackles for loss, three or three and, and a half, half. Sa sacks. Yeah. So, like, that's that's solid. But as you said, Jared, when you say the expectation is five-star local kid, people are expecting the moon and the stars or whatever from him. And he doesn't get there right away, and then he leaves. I understand why that's probably really disappointing for South Carolina fans. Um, I think if you're an Oregon fan and this does come together, which, again, hasn't officially happened, clearly, 
this would be really significant. These are the type of SEC athletes that Dane Lanning needs to bring to Oregon. And kind of like mm -hmm. the sales pitch when he was brought in to a certain degree was these were the type of guys he would be bringing to Oregon, right? Like this yeah. is this is kind of following through on, hey, we're going to provide an SEC caliber defense. Well, year one certainly wasn't that. Year two, I think it's probably a stretch that it looks anywhere near as good as it as it could. But you bring in players like this, and, and you start turning the corner maybe to get there. Um, all right, I got another question. Unless did, Matt, did you did you have one? I was just going to pose like a couple of days ago. Uh, Cal's star freshman receiver J. Michael uh, Sturdivant put his name in the portal. Mm -hmm. um, receiver isn't. I don't feel like the biggest need, but that would be a talent that I would go after really productive in the pack 12, 755 yards. He had seven touchdown passes. Uh, and against Oregon and Washington, he went 14 catches for 175 and three touchdowns over those mm -hmm. two games His two his best two game stretch. I feel like that would be a, an ad that while not a need would be worth going after just, he's like six foot four too. Um, yeah. I just not a, not a body he, type Oregon has a lot of on the roster right now. If he wants to come to Oregon, you can't say no to that. Yes. No, and I guess my thought is I think it's you know they don't you, need him though. Yeah, it probably doesn't start this year because he's probably a Z. Maybe he pushes Holden, but he could be a player that you bring in and you develop. And by twenty twenty four, he's arguably one. He's like your best receiver, your second best receiver. Because Franklin, I. I think there's a legitimate chance Franklin's going to be three and done. Like, I wouldn't be surprised yes. if next year's his last year. Not to set that expectation as being what it should – like, it has to be that. But he's got – he's proven through two years to be a really high-end player this last year. I thought mm -hmm. was really impressive. And then Holden's a – correct me if I'm wrong. I think he's just a one-year eligibility and he's done guy, right? Is that correct? I think so, yeah. So your X and your Z, you could pitch some big-time portal guy like a Sturt event that, hey, come here for a year. You can be our, our third outside receiver – maybe our fourth outside receiver push for playing time. But the next year, both those spots are opening up and you're competing with, you know, Jerry and Dickey, who's a five-star and, and some other players may add the, hit the portal again. But like, there's, there's a pitch to be made that like, Hey, by 2024, if you want to be patient, like you could be the top receiver on a really good team on the West coast. But I like the name, Matt. I, when I, I saw that name jump in too, I was like, oh, I wonder if there'll be any interest there just because he did have such a good game. I think a lot Florida. of people are going to have interest in him. I mean, he's from mm -hmm. Texas. It wouldn't surprise me if, he goes back home. All right. Um, from LFBP Fishing. Hi, guys. What game or games are you most excited for and why? I assume we're talking next season, which makes sense because we're kind of finished with this year, transitioning to next. Um, schedule's not out. We know who they will be playing. We don't have order of operations or like game days or times or any of that. Um, two that just jump off the top of my head. Uh, Texas Tech will be fun. I've never been down to that part of Texas. I've been to Texas twice. One was for the football game in 2019, uh, the Oregon-Auburn game. Uh, that'll be fun, not to mention the fact that Tyler Shuck maybe get a little yeah. bit of a, a revenge tour, goes against his former school. Things didn't end great here, of course, next to nobody that he played with or coached him. He's on the team. He's on the team. So it's not like he's got like people back in Eugene. He's like, oh, I really don't like – I'm sure he probably has good relationships with almost anybody who's still around. Tyler was one of my favorite people to cover. I thought really highly of him as a person, um, especially through a really tough year where he was trying to be the quarterback during a COVID year, all of that. Um, that will be kind of fun to see. It'll be fun to see Tyler, Chuck versus the Ducks. Just start, you know, I'm not sure if that's the first game of the year, but it's one of the first. And then the USC coming to Otson one last time game is probably everyone's top pick, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. And we don't have a date yeah. on that, but like this is their last year in the conference. Oregon and USC's, I would say, rivalry, although they haven't really faced each other too often on the field of late. Like that's those are two schools that really don't like each other. They recruit against each other all the time. And one has really kind of done conference a little dirty with the way that all played out you can argue you could say you understand why in terms of the financials there's that but still like at the end of the day usc has kind of dealt the best you know a death blow to the pac 12 and i don't think everybody on the west coast is very happy about that and their last opportunity for oregon to play them at home will be next season so i think those are the those are the easy ones for me i think those are like the only options other than 
finishing on the road at Utah and at Seattle um, with Washington. I think that those are more tough games than anything else. Um, something to watch on the schedule. But yeah, I mean, going to Lubbock will be something. Um, I, my, my cousins went to Texas Tech. So I, I know about Lubbock. I've never been to Lubbock, but I know that there's not a lot out there. Um, so that'll be that'll be fun. Um, Texas Tech, I've heard, is a great football environment. So I think that'll that'll just be fun in general. A nice Big Twelve road game, um, and then yeah, against USC and against Caleb Williams and the you know 2022 Heisman Trophy winner. And it'll be interesting to see how USC looks during this off season. Um, got really exposed against Tulane in that dramatic uh, upset. I, I would yeah, I would call that an upset for sure. They were favored. Um, they were favored, so it'll it'll, it'll be interesting um, just to see what that whole team looks like by the by the time Oregon and, and USC meet on the football field. But besides so said that game is in Eugene. Um, it's just not a great schedule for next year. It's just not like compared to compared to this year and the home games that Oregon got. Um, oh, it's just man. not as not as favorable. I disagree. Are are Fine. you talking? Are you talking just marquee names, or are you talking? Um, Order because we don't know the order yet. No, I'm just talking marquee names. Like you had much oh. better names coming to Oregon this past season. Well, I I think we get uh, Deion Sanders in Eugene. That that's that'll Colorado. be interesting. <laughs> that'll sure. be interesting. Uh, we get Caleb Williams and USC their last trip here in Eugene, uh, and we also get Oregon State, which hmm. that I mean that game is going to have some hostility to it. I, I guarantee it on January 6th. Um, I, I think, yes, the non-con kind of sucks, Portland State and Hawaii. Um, not good. But the Cal is Cal. But uh, Washington State could be interesting. That's always fun. Um, but At Washington. At Washington. Yeah. That's, that's, I was going to ask. That's like, going to be something, man. If, if, we're, if, we're, if we put our hats on and we're Pac-12 schedulers, from a marketing yeah. standpoint, okay. Typically, Oregon plays Washington most times in like early November. Um, does Oregon and they all and they always for whatever reason have been playing Utah the second to last week of the regular season? I think that's been the case like three or four years in a row now, um, excluding COVID. Uh, do you swap USC for one of those? two games or do you want to play USC Oregon in Austin in like early October, late September and hope that, you know, both teams are still in that top five. They're not top five, like top 15 ish ranking perspective next season. USC may be top five. Oregon will probably be closer to 12 or, or 13, but yeah. Or do you bank on both teams being really, really good and you, you second to last game of the year and you hope for a top five matchup. I kind of want to see that game played in good weather. Yes. Mm-hmm. Just because of the way the two teams are composed, I just want to see a million points scored. So if I'm thinking not just comp- comp- competition-wise, but aesthetically, play that game like maybe your second or third Pac-12 game in, you know, like o- the second weekend of October or something would be kind yeah. of an interesting time for that game to be played. Because I actually, in general, I know they didn't – quite do it this year. They played Utah as their second to last uh, Pac-12 game. Obviously, that was a tough schedule to close the year. Um, I kind of like it where you're playing Washington and Oregon State almost just like if, – if, if it was just a set ruling that those were your last two games of every Pac-12 season, like, I don't know if they would I – mean, Oregon State has always been the last Pac-12 game. But like, scheduling Washington the weekend before that, that could be kind of a fun – regular way to close the season like it'd be really challenging because those are two teams that seem like they're on the rise along with Oregon but just to finish the season with your two rivals like kind of seems like the way it should be because it's like Oregon Oregon is different than other teams in this conference where you've got your one you know you've got your local regional rival with an Oregon State but Oregon and Washington are bigger rivals than Oregon and Oregon State at least from the Oregon perspective like Oregon really doesn't like Washington so Playing those two teams back-to-back or close to like, – I kind of like the way this schedule played out this year where it was Washington, Utah, Oregon State. So I'd love to have – I'd love to have Washington scheduled every year in 
you know, the first or second weekend of November, and then you play Oregon State to to wrap it. I, I think that should be the way the game is scheduled. Play your one or two marquee games against the Pac-12 South at some point in the month of October. Maybe give yourself a bye week after the big marquee game. Like, if you were just to schedule this out, I don't know if we want to do this all the way, but, like, play your non-conference. Oregon plays one of the weaker teams in its first conference game. Like, if, if I was scheduling, this is what I would do. Then you play your USC or maybe you put another one in before it. And then after the USC game, you do your bye. Maybe you come back with a decent team, and then you finish it with your your run we talked about where it's like Washington, Oregon State to close. That would be – if I was in, in the scheduling office, that would be my my way of doing it, I think. I think that's a good also, thing. I would say um, just a quick thing about USC. They played – I don't know if it's any logical explanation of what they would do next year, but they played Oregon State on September 24th. So yeah. – earlier in the season um i agree with you i think it should be earlier in the season i think i don't know what usc's non-conference is off the top of my head so i'll keep looking at that right now while i filibuster into that situation but they play san jose state nevada and that's it they play san jose state and nevada and then notre dame notre, notre dame is October. right they do that yeah. every year it's not so i don't know maybe they could do um an oregon week and then break and then Notre Dame for USC. But I think, yeah, I think it should be played earlier in the season. And and yeah, I wouldn't, I would like to see Oregon's regular season end with their two biggest rivals in, in Washington and then Oregon state. Um, I think Oregon might be nuts and bolts and kind of screwed here um, with the, how many of tough away games they could, uh, it would not be great if they had this basically the same schedule as they did this year, just with back-to-back away games against Washington and, and uh, Utah, but we'll see. Hopefully the schedule comes out. It's so late this year. It's supposed to be sometime before March, which is <laughs> well, that's, that's so arbitrary. That's <laughs> that's, 90 so it's days. Like some, yeah. Sometimes in the next 90 days. Like, all right, yeah. Come on. Sometimes before September 3rd. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one final comment. Uh, sneaky game at Arizona State. Kenny Dillingham versus uh, Dan Lanning. I hope that game's sure. in late October. Give Give me Arizona weather in late October. I, I I'm okay missing Arizona in September when it's still balls hot, but uh, when it's like 56 you know it's gonna degrees be September, here, September 24th. Yeah, it's gonna be a stupid I... night game. Oh God, I hope that's not what it is. I'm with you, Matt. That'd be fun to play that one. Maybe that's your game coming out of that bye week. Okay, I'm scripting it. You got USC bye week, Arizona State on the road. That seems pretty. Mm. That, that seems fitting. Pac-12 schedules make it happen. Uh, let's move on to another question. Uh, unless when you guys have one queued up, I have a, I have one chosen here from uh, Marcus Phoenix five hundred three. Um, what do you guys think the wide receiver rotation will be ne- next year? Uh, and by the way, we, what are we thinking? Probably twenty more minutes of question answering, and then we'll, we'll hop off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thereabouts. Matt, you'd be proud of us, by the way. We did a break. We did a commercial break. Terrific. In your honor, in your in memoriam of Matt. A moment Pringer, of like, silence. Yeah, we did yes. a moment of silence for you. Um, <laughs> so back to Marcus's question. We kind of, I think we talked about this a little bit, so maybe we'll keep this segment quick, this question quick and move on. Um, but I think you've got Troy, obviously, is your starting X receiver, and no one's going to take him off that. That's his, that's his job. That's his role. He's going to carry it again. He was fantastic. He and Bo have a great chemistry. Uh, I think Shreshan Holden at Z makes a lot of sense. They lost their top two Z guys. That's the other outside receiver with Chase and Dante Thornton hitting the portal. So you've got an open spot. You bring in a guy from Alabama who was there starting Z. Adds up. Makes sense. Uh, and then I, I am kind of leaning, the more we had our conversation on our last podcast or one of the ones recently, I can't remember. Uh, I think Tez Johnson might be the starting slot. I'm kind of being convinced mm-hmm. of that. Chris Hudson comes back having started every game last year. Um, maybe I'm buying too much into the PFF hype, into the the relationship with his adopted brother, who's the quarterback. Um, but there's just it makes quite a bit of sense to me. He's a more productive player than what Chris Hudson has been. Um, and as we've established before, like PFF thinks he's like a super elite guy. He was the second best receiver in the country. So I'll go with that as the starting three. After that, it gets kind of tough. Uh, if Chris Hudson, assuming he's still on the team, like clearly he's your backup slot and probably technically your backup X and Z too, in terms of like, I would imagine they would, if they, if he's going to stick around, try to incorporate him in the offense in a lot of different ways, assuming he doesn't win the job as I've hypothetically said, he won't. Um, I would put Jurian Dickey at probably 
I, he seems like a Z to me, but we'll see what happens. So I would put him there, and then I'd have Kyler Casper at X because I know that's where he was working last year. So that would be my my three backups would be Casper, Hudson, Dickey. And I feel pretty decent about that in early January. That, that makes a lot of sense that that would be the order, and you could convince me that yeah. Hudson is above Johnson just because the guy's proven it in terms of playing at Oregon and having started. But I don't know. I really like what – Everything I've seen and heard and read about Tez Johnson makes me think he could be somebody who could have a, a, a sizable role and probably push to start right away. Yeah, I don't have, I don't have anything else. That's that's what I would do. Um, just depends on what, if if Hudson stays and we're not reporting anything that he's thinking about leaving or anything like that. It's just when you bring in a guy who's established at your own position group, sometimes guys leave. Um, but uh, yeah, Dickey is uh, Eric. You think he's more of a Z than an X? Yeah, that's my that's how I look at I don't know, in terms of just the body like, type, but it yeah. could go either way. I don't know. We'll see when it gets here. I feel like he could play either. I guess Kozar would be a more X receiver than Dickey. Because he's a bit taller, he's got yeah. more just straight line speed. Yeah, Z's are yeah, I don't know. We'll we'll I see. I don't know either. I'll we'll ask Junior Adams and then he'll maybe explain it to us. Probably not, but we'll no. just take random shots in the dark during our depth chart, depth chart prediction, which should be going live in two weeks here. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that they might need to add one other guy um, just as a, like a, maybe another established veteran person. Again, I brought this up before, but the Caleb Chapman type where it's a low risk, high reward fella. Um, just, just again, to get more experience back there and not rely so heavily on uh, potentially Kyler Casper or Jurion Dickey, even though I think both could step up to that moment. Um, I, I think the, I think the rotation is good. I think um, I think, Probably you would have liked to add added one more really big impact guy, just a line of a, an important Z receiver up next to Troy Franklin. But I think Trayshawn Holden can can be something like that. I think he can be really um, effective in the Pac-12 and really effective in Wolstein's offense. It's kind of why I was bringing up Strudement from from Cal. Like I I think he could play in that role that Jared's talking about. Um, to the original question. I think the only thing I would change is I would keep Hudson as the projected starter. Um, he's been a two-year starter at Oregon, um, and he was fairly productive this season. I know Tez was very productive, but new system, higher level of competition. Uh, I think you have to factor that in. And it would be one in which it. I hate the or, but I would probably include the or. Um, but I would just give the nod to Chris because – he is an established player. He is an established starter, um, and he's not been terrible. Like, I, I, I would bank on the experience within the system before giving a, a newcomer the job right away. Not saying he can't lose it because I, I agree with you. Like, he could lose that job. Like, Tez could beat him out in spring ball, and 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 get the job if Tez is here for the spring, or he could beat him out in fall camp. But right. going in, it's it's Hudson's job to lose. It's going to be, I think, the one of the more interesting offensive position battles in my yeah. mind going into the season. Because you've got quarterback, you know what that is. You've got running back, you know what that is. There's maybe some backup tight end competition, depending on what happens with McCormick and Sadiq. Sadiq joins the fray. And then there's a couple offensive line positions. But I think the most like pronounced one could be the slot receiver in terms of like we just could go either way. They're going to have two very high caliber players there. Hudson was a pretty highly rated recruit who has had some moments and Tess Johnson has been very productive at Troy. Really impressive on tape in terms of just the explosiveness there. Um, do you guys have any questions uh, that you've seen in the chat that jump out? or you, I've got another one if you want to throw it there. I saw one from uh, from Ronald Reagan asking, yeah. what position does does Birch play from right. South Carolina? He plays edge, defensive line edge. So like, Ronald, Ronald Reagan's in joining. the chat? Yeah, Ronald joined the chat. His profile picture is a dog, so I appreciate you, Ronald, for – Coming back um, and joining our football I, chat here. I think uh, I think Birch. <laughs> I think Birch could play the DJ Johnson standing role, or yes. in a pinch, the same role Brennan Dorless played as like the weak side defensive end. Is mm -hmm. kind of like I think he could play either one based on his body type and what he's done. Uh, I have another Ronald Reagan question. Do we want to roll with it? Do we want to just keep? Go oh, for good. It? Yeah. Former yeah. presidents are getting uh, an un <laughs> getting Welcome special out. privileges on this podcast. Uh, from Ronald Reagan, why would, why would Oregon even think about leaving the Pac-12 when they are likely in the running for a playoff every year? 
uh, I mean, the short and long of it is money is the financial disparity so, between what the big 10 television contract is going to be and what the pac 12s contract is projected to be when in which you're talking about you know 50 60 million dollars per year for member schools potentially in terms of the difference between the two that's all it is there's no re yep. there's no, and, and that's the only reason usc left if we're just being honest about it there's there's it doesn't make sense from a regional perspective from a travel perspective from a hist history of rivalry perspective um in oregon's case i also don't know if it may i mean in terms of making a college football playoff run, it makes less sense to be in the Big Ten than the Pac-12, I would argue. Um, but the financials of it also make it to which I think you would you, you have a very compelling case and one I probably would follow through with of saying you don't want to be in a spot where you're, you're making significantly less money year over year than teams you're recruiting against, right? With USC and UCLA yes. in the Big Ten and you're now going head-to-head, -head, like Oregon's winning those recruiting battles right now at a pretty high rate. I know UCLA just took Dante Moore. USC obviously got some wins this year, but Oregon is still big dog on the on the West Coast from a recruiting rankings perspective. For was this four straight years? Is that right? I mean, that's pretty darn impressive. Mm -hmm. Pulling that off, five says Matt. Five straight years. I think yeah, you're right. Five straight years. Pulling that off year over year consistently becomes a little more difficult when USC and UCLA have a lot more resources to deal with than what what Oregon would. So that's that's the argument for Oregon leaving the conference is, is a financial one. There's no argument from a competitive balance perspective, from a uh, geography slash travel budget. Like all the, 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 the staying in the Pac-12 makes sense from a competitive perspective, but the issue becomes, does the conference Money. remain viable if there's if they're sucked, sucked clear, clean of all their, their financial capital compared to what the yeah. Big Ten is making, what the SEC is projected to make, you know, all of this stuff. The, 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 the financial numbers are not, positive so that that's that's the re that's the reason ronald yeah that's that's the that's the sole reason it's just money and i think competitively i have a different take where uh it would, it would benefit oregon from joining one of these super conferences before it gets too late in terms of competition just because you know you look at a team like ohio state who does lose to michigan who happens to be a you know a top five team in the country um there's more top five teams in the country in the sec and the big 10 uh more likely than not at the time when you lose and during the middle of the season so i'm i feel better about um i feel better about if oregon joined the pac-12 for both competitive reasons and monetary values uh, i just think it's the right way to go i've been saying this since the summer since the news officially announced that uh, usc and ucla were going uh so i i i don't know i'm still all on board if oregon can somehow squeak their way into the big 10 um it's an absolute must I, i'm we don't know what the pac-12 uh, con what the Pac-12 TV deal will be, who it'll be streaming on, how much money it'll be for. Um, the Big Ten just got theirs done, uh, or excuse me, the Big 12 just got theirs done. I, I don't know. I don't know what. I don't know what TV value or TV market is really going to want the Pac-12 without USC and UCLA. It's just not as good of a product. It just isn't. And then the TV viewership market um, without the LA market around it, it's just not as valuable of a product as it is with the Big Ten. Or, or even the Big 12. And Rutgers is pulling in $90 million a year from the Big Ten's media deal. Hell yeah. And a program like Oregon, who is in a different stratosphere of a program as Rutgers. Hey, you take it easy on Greg Schiano. <laughs> easy. Is making roughly $32 million a year. Right. It becomes, it becomes too much. Yeah, like that that is the issue is competitively like eric said like they're there like the pac-12 and without usc and ucla it's what you want because you become the clemson of the acc but a pac-12 version where you're so much better than everybody else from a talent perspective and as long as you do your job you're, you're going to be 11 and 1 12 and 0 going into your conference championship game the playoffs are in the picture every single year. But when there's a 30, 40, 50 million, 60 million dollar difference between you and a, a team that can't get to a bowl game, you can't sustain that. You can't stay alive for the longevity of the sport and with that difference of, of payout. And what the long term issue becomes is the Pac 12 is not recruiting on the same level right now, anyway, with the Big Ten. And the SEC, yeah. they're better than the Big 12 for the most part, are pretty comparable. But like mm -hmm. they're not recruiting at that level 
to begin with. And when you zap the financial resources, you give a bunch of money then to USC and UCLA. Those two schools are, would, in theory, this would be the, the plan for the Big Ten, I guess. They would just kick ass on the, recruit, on the recruiting show on the West Coast, go pull out all the top players, opens the door again for more other schools, you know, from outside the region, the Ohio States and a big, you know, all these Big Ten SEC members to come and raid your area. And Oregon, while maybe financially in better situation because of some big donors um, up the road in, in, in the Portland area, could kind of hold serve for a little bit. It's just not really tenable to ask Phil Knight to give except excessive numbers, you know, every single year to try to stay competitive. So, you know, this is this is where it is. I don't know. Like, I don't think in year one, two, three, or four, you're going to feel. I, I think like the first four years where USC and UCLA are outside the conference. I think the Pac-12 and some of the member schools can kind of stay afloat, feel pretty good. Like, there's good talent on these teams. We saw this year the Pac-12 was, I think one of the better seasons it's had in, in quite some time. I think the year, I think the 2023 season could be very strong as well, but you get into an issue here where the talent will over, over a period of five, six years, just start to evaporate on the West mm -hmm. coast. And most of the best players will play probably at USC UCLA based upon the financial parts and all of that. Um, so no, that that's, that's the, that's the concern. It's a financial concern and I, I get it. And I would prefer that they were in the big 10, but we'll see if that becomes how viable that option becomes. Um, time for a couple more, or are we good? You got sure. anyone that you want to do? I got one here. Let's do uh, one more. Okay. Well, then let me be selective here. There's a couple in here. We've got some, got some people clowning on Ronald Reagan's name here, which is always appreciated. Um, okay, here's a, here's a basic one. I'll kind of toss this over to Matt. Um, from Dan Johnson, any update on a new safeties coach? Matt Pallage has taken off for Baylor. We talked about this a while ago. Been a little bit quiet on that front, I feel mm -hmm. like, since. Matt, do you have any updates or any kind of sense of where that's headed? Yeah, I mean, the expectation is this gets done here in the next week or so, um, maybe two. The National Coaches Convention, I believe, kicks off tomorrow. Maybe it's tonight. Uh, that's it's back tonight. east, though. Yeah, I think it's tonight. And, yeah, it's it typically runs right around the, the – time frame of the national championship game and this is where uh, a lot of hires start um it's a networking event for coaches um it's also a place to conduct interviews with a lot of people very quickly because for the most part most coaches go to this whether you're looking for a job or whether you're just trying to network or learn some new tricks to the trade whatever uh this is a big period of time where deals start the process. So it wouldn't be surprising here if in the next 10 days something happens. Um, it has been really quiet there. You're right. Like mm -hmm. there hasn't been a lot of mention of this. Um, we know that he's got candidates that he likes. Um, beyond that, there really isn't much more to say, unfortunately. Um, I, like I said, I think, 10 days or so we'll, we'll, we'll have a head coach. He, he needs to have it or not head coach. We'll have a hire at the assistant position. And hopefully you want to have this done days. when uh recruiting period opens up. Cause a, it's not only just for 2023, it's also an opportunity to go out and make in school visits to 2024, 2025, 2026 players. And while you can send a guy like Tyler Dean, who's like the director of scouting at Oregon on these trips, you'd ideally like to tap into your position coach to do that as well, because he may have a better connection or he may know uh, a relationship, have a relationship with a high school coach or something that, that can foster a quicker relationship with the player than Tyler Dean. I'm not trying to discredit Tyler Dean because he's really good at his job, but you'd mm -hmm. rather have your position coach out there. Yeah. 100%. And I'd be kind of curious to see where this goes. I, I wonder if they'll find another Texas representative basically on defense. They have obviously Will Stein and Drew Maringer guys with, with backgrounds in Texas on offense. Defensively, Matt Pallage was kind of their kind of their guy from a recruiting perspective. He was a big part of a lot of those recruitments. I know Tosh is pretty well connected around the country and helped kind of finish on some of those defensive line players along with Tuioti. But I think Pallage with his connections in Texas was really valuable mm -hmm. in terms of recruiting the state of Texas. So defensively, I think you'd like to find somebody on the staff who's got 
a history there, direct ties to Texas, um, or somewhere in that region, uh, at least, because that remains an area. Like Oregon hit Texas harder this year than they have in a really long time. And the state of Texas, I'll tell you, every year is going to have a ton of dudes. Have some dudes. Yeah. And, and if you can keep hitting those and, and, and landing, again, the, I think the exciting part about this year in Texas, a lot of those are blue chip guys. A lot of those are four-star recruits that had offers from a lot of really big-time schools. So I, I to me, that's like, I know it's one qualification, but I, I would like expect, I would, I would be a little surprised, I guess, if there wasn't, this hire didn't hit home from a different geographical area, I guess. Like, I'd be surprised if this is a guy who's, also from Southern California, like Demetrius yeah. Martin, who coaches corners. Tosh is from the West Coast originally. Tony Toyota is from the West Coast originally. So your, your defensive staff is mostly West Coast guys. I think you need to hit somebody who's who's got a little history outside the region, who's got some background, some ties somewhere else. That would be kind of the thing mm-hmm. I would look for on this one. Two, two other quick things here. One, maybe Oregon opens up to a different position group because Demetrius Martin does have mm-hmm. experience coaching both safeties and the- – cornerbacks i would still think you want to keep status quo as it was last year and have a safeties coach but maybe that's an avenue and then secondly they're gonna have some money to to use because college was paid seven hundred thousand dollars before bonuses um this season that's a big chunk of money so they should in theory that's um, a lot of money for a safeties coach he was he was co-dc i know he was co-dc yeah but that's just that's just a title it's more of a just a safeties coach that that Seven hundred thousand dollars brought him to Oregon originally. That's for sure. That's yeah, so you're gonna have a lot of money to to use for for your search for a new head coach or a new position coach. Matt, stop putting that Dan, out are, there. Are, yeah, are we I'm sorry, Dan's gone Dan here. Oh, Dan, oh god! <laughs> imagine a head coaching search. By the way, for those listening, that's why I reacted that way. It's, it's the worst thing to cover. It's, yeah. it's 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 exhausting. So uh, please, no more of that, Dan. Please, like Eugene, stay in Eugene. Uh, yeah, I don't have my. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be great. Yeah, no more, no more coaching searches, please. Yeah, head coaching searches, to be specific, because never a good time. Never a good time. All right, I think that's gonna do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Please pray that I have the internet power to get this podcast up online. We'll see if mm. that happens. But thank you for listening. Thank you for submitting your shows, uh, your questions the show uh we'll continue to do these every friday or maybe we'll move them around but i think the plan is we stick on friday as best we can um until the next one you've been listening to the odds and audibles podcast talk to you later folks peace now streaming on paramount plus you ready bob well, all right. audiences are raving bob marley is electrifying it's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus.